You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The Spy Who Loved Me, which came out in 1977 and was directed by Louis Gilbert. It stars Roger Moore, Barbara Bach, Kerr Jurgens, Richard Keel, Carolyn Monroe, Walter Gottel, Jeffrey Keane, Bernard Lee, and Desmond Llewellyn. The genre would be spy action thriller. My name is Bond, James Bond. Since we first met, you've joined me on nine of my missions. My latest, and if I'm not careful, my last assignment will take me to new heights of adventure, new depths of danger, and new areas of excitement. I have a message for you. I think you're just a little bit. I will come to grips with my most formidable adversaries, be up against the most fascinating women, and handle some of the most fantastic equipment you've ever seen. It won't be easy. <gasps> but every job has its rewards. In this case, it's the spy who loved me. As a longtime Bond fan, this is probably my favorite one starring the late, great Sir Roger Moore. It makes sense, too, because never was there a story and setting better tailored to his particular approach towards playing 007. It's a goofy story, told on a grand scale, loaded with crazy gadgets, no shortage of scantily clad women in swimsuits, kitschy music throughout, which would entail a very disco-influenced score from the late, great Marvin Hamlish, Crazy stunts, done by Stuntman, of course, an over-the-top villain, Kurt Jurgens playing Stromberg, an even wackier henchman, who would be Jaws, lavish sets from Ken Adams, massive action sequences featuring large numbers of extras, and a beautiful, mysterious rival secret agent from the KGB, who Bond has to pair up with on this latest crazy mission, which seems quite similar to one prior that he did about 10 years earlier in You Only Live Twice. Funny that both films came from the same director, Lewis Gilbert. Hmm. Yeah, this would not actually be the first time either, as this basic plotline would be used for the next Bond film as well, Moonraker. It's basically the power-mad industrialist devises to incite a nuclear war between the East and West, so that after that he can rule the scraps left for himself in his image. Plotline. I mean, it sounds simple enough, right? Now your curiosity can be satisfied. Both crews aboard, sir. Missile unload completed. They have already been given their targets. At 12 noon, they will have reached firing positions. Within minutes, New York and Moscow will cease to exist. Global destruction will follow. 
the new era will begin. In both You Only Live Twice and Moonraker, the main villain was looking to do this via space-based technology. This time around, Stromberg has plans to rule the world via his growing underwater empire, which creates the opportunity for no shortage of impressively staged water-based action and impressive water-based sets, including Stromberg's underwater lair, which kind of looks like the cross between a four-legged insect and Lex Luthor's Legion of Doom. Roger Moore is really at his best, with charm and swagger to spare. Yes, he does get his share of goofy lines. But James, I need you. So does England. And smug double takes, but he still portrays a confident 007 who always comes through in the clutch, especially through this film's dazzling extended climax, which features Bond and a U.S. sub-captain, played by Jean Rivette Shane Rimmer, leading the cavalry to take down Stromberg's red jumpsuit-wearing army inside of a gargantuan submarine-swallowing supertanker. I mean, we are talking about a set so large that Claude Renoir, the cinematographer, was not quite sure how to light it. So they went to Ken Adams, frequent collaborator, for guidance on this. And they received uncredited assistance from the late, great Stanley Kubrick. Yep, that Kubrick. On setting up the lighting. Also of note is the always charming Walter Gattel playing General Gogol, the head of the KGB and also Anya's boss. Seriously, for a film made back in Cold War 76, it's kind of shocking how this movie actually portrays the Soviets as more progressive and compassionate than the British. Cattell would actually go on to play this character in five more Bond films, and he was always a welcome presence considering that he just had such a warm smile and playful nature about him. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm certain that two such perceptive talents will enjoy working together in Sardinia and that it will help to make Anglo-Soviet cooperation a reality. And of course, we cannot forget Jaws. As played by the late and fondly remembered Richard Keel, who was more than seven feet two inches at the time. He's just a giant, comically lumbering, unstoppable force. So big and intimidating that it's easy to forget that he also has these extremely sharp metal teeth, which come in handy towards the end. When he's trapped in a pool with a vicious shark coming his way, it's Jaws who savagely bites the underwater beast with those teeth. He's just a blast to watch. The Spy Who Loved Me is mainly a series of highlights and impressive set pieces, which knows what it is and rarely disappoints. Oh, it still has its share of clunky spots. All of the Egypt travelogue stuff probably pads it by an extra 10 minutes or so. The villain himself, Stromberg, he's merely serviceable with minimal charisma. Honestly, Michael Lonsdale delivers a much sharper version of the same type of villain as Hugo Drax in the next movie. There are a couple of distractingly cutesy music cues included within the score, and there's a running subplot that's pretty much dropped for no reason. I'll get to that one in a bit. But overall, this is a highly entertaining action epic, which for the most part rivals even the best of what we see today. This film was among a select few from the pre-blockbuster era, which skied so that the likes of Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, could eventually run. And that brings us to the categories. And they're going to be a little out of order this time, because I'm combining two of them. The first category this time around would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, out of the rest of the cast, we also have the truly luminous Barbara Bach playing Anya, or Agent Triple X, a pretty crafty dueling spy partner for Bond. She and Moore have good chemistry, and she holds her own in the action sequences as well. Until, sadly, the screenplay relegates her to a damsel in distress, mainly in the third act. 
All around, Bach does the most she can with this role, but is somewhat underused. What always stuck out the most for me, though, with regards to her character, is that there is a tense subplot introduced early on relating to Anya's planned vengeance towards Bond for murdering her former lover on those ski slopes in the opening sequence, which we'll get to. This culminates in one pretty strong scene roughly about halfway through when they both realize each other's involvement in this death. Did you kill him? When someone's behind you on skis of 40 miles an hour trying to put a bullet in your back, you don't always have time to remember a face. No business and your people get killed. We both know that. So did he. It was either him or me. The answer to the question is yes. I did kill him. Then, when this mission is over, I will kill you. Yeah, pretty, pretty strong stuff. And then, at the very end of the movie... This whole subplot is just jarringly dropped for no particular reason. Undoubtedly, this character was a solid step forward for Bond's female co-stars in this franchise, but clearly they had some ways to go. And that brings us to the next two categories, which are going to be in tandem because one leads into the other. That would be the best needle drop, the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, and the trailer moment, the scener moment that best describes this movie. First, that trailer moment. Strangely, I've gone this far without even barely mentioning what I consider to be the film's true highlight. A cold open ski chase, which not only cannily sets up the story, but culminates with what remains probably one of the top 10 most impressive stunts in the history of cinema. Seriously, we see Bond evade several Soviet goons out to kill him while on the ski slopes in Austria. He actually fends them off with a ski pole that's also a firearm. Thanks, Q. He then does some impressive maneuvering downhill through various obstacles before approaching a cliff, which he then jumps off on on skis. And as one camera follows this figure free-falling through the air while removing his skis, he is then able to bust open a parachute featuring the Union Jack flag for the United Kingdom, all in one very impressive shot, no less. Apparently, no stunt had been done like this before, as there was a dangerously short window of time for anyone taking this jump to be able to successfully remove his skis and trigger the parachute before falling too low to be able to recover. Genuinely death-defying stuff pulled off by the legendary stuntman Rick Sylvester. And as if that sequence wasn't enough, this brings us to the needle drop. This also leads into a crazy underwater set opening credit sequence featuring what I consider to be the best Bond theme of them all, though it's close between this and a couple of others. And that would be Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. Just a gorgeous ballad featuring not only her impressive pipes, but lush piano and orchestration composed by Marvin Hamlish himself. Just the perfect sort of rousing romantic music to kick off such a sprawling adventure.
And that brings us to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Albert Broccoli, Albert Cubby Broccoli, as he's nicknamed, helped kickstart the Bond franchise in the late 50s when he decided to partner with producer Harry Saltzman, who had already owned the rights to the Ian Fleming novels, which these films are based on. Together, they decided to co-produce these films, which led to the creation of the production company Eon Productions, otherwise known as Everything or Nothing, which is now the exclusive producer of all Bond-related content. After the unexpected success of Dr. No in 1962, Broccoli and Saltzman, they just started cranking these out, more Bond films, probably every other year, and they just became bigger and bigger. Although by the end of the decade, Saltzman's interest in the franchise started to wane a bit while he also racked up massive debts with other business ventures. And unfortunately, Harry Saltzman ended up using his partial ownership of Eon as collateral on many a bad venture, which led to several different lawsuits regarding the rights throughout the 70s. Along with other legal issues arising between Ian Fleming's estate and a writer he had partnered with early on, and the underperformance of the previous Bond film from 1974, The Man with the Golden Gun, this resulted in a very tumultuous time for the franchise. Well, Cubby Broccoli then became the sole producer around this time, and he took the reins. The Spy Who Loved Me was the first film released under his sole leadership, and he clearly blew the doors off, spearheading a movie which not only looked a lot more expensive than it was, I mean, this movie cost about $12 million, less than half of like the first Star Trek, Superman, many other big budget movies of the late 70s. But it was so successful at the box office that it helped reestablish Roger Moore as a popular James Bond for years to come. Albert Broccoli would remain on as producer until his passing in 1996. His daughter Barbara Broccoli then took over producing duties and has done so since then, in partnership with Michael G. Wilson. For keeping this franchise thriving at a critical time, Cubby Broccoli is the MVP. 007, triple X. Bond, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. My overall rating for The Spy Who Loved Me would be four stars out of five. Of all of the Bond films, this one is firmly within my top ten, probably around sixth or seventh, actually. And even if the late, great Roger Moore is not really your cup of tea, you're more of a Connery person or Craig or Brosnan, everybody has their favorites. There's just so much to enjoy here, even outside of the actor playing Bond. The action, the music, the scenery, the stunts. It's just a full-on, delicious steak dinner of a movie. And if you're looking to dig into The Spy Who Loved Me and check it out, it's currently streaming on Prime Video. And that ends another Strombergian review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.